Welcome to the Lions Made Podcast, episode 52. Today I'm joined all the way from Florida by Britt Weeb, who is part of the Houston Astros organization, and she's the strength and conditioning coordinator there for the developmental leagues and teams, which basically means that she has a lot of young athletes coming in that she's doing strength and conditioning with and trying to develop them long-term into athletes who can either play pro, play semi-pro, play in some of the higher leagues, if not the big leagues, and at least have something to take with them along their way if they can't play further. Now, the American Baseball League system organization very much resembles European soccer organizations with academy systems, developmental leagues. And so this was a very interesting conversation talking about long-term athletic development and giving athletes something that they can take on their way with them after their time with us, the strength and conditioning coaches, whether they make the big leagues or whether they go on to just live their lives. So... Enjoy this discussion. I sure did. Thanks again, Britt. And let's get it popping. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm here with Coach Britt Weave. <laughs> Woo! Nailed with it. Multiple, multiple different ways to say your name if you're a German like me. So this is going to be a very interesting podcast with multiple different cultures, multiple different languages, even multiple different sports. I'm so excited to dive into this with you. Thanks for your patience and getting this all scheduled. Britt Weave, please introduce yourself. Heck yes, coach. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so I am currently the Latin American Strength and Conditioning Coordinator with the Houston Astros. It's a professional baseball organization in the States. So I'm stationed at our um, rookie site in West Palm Beach, Florida. And then I also, so I oversee all operations that happen in the Dominican, which is our international site. So I go back and forth from West Palm Beach to um, the Dominican Republic. So that's where I'm currently stationed. I've been with um, the Astros. This will be technically my fourth season that I'm going into. It's been a minute. It's weird to say. And then prior to that, um, I'm from Canada. So I initially got stateside. I got a basketball scholarship and played for played hoops for four years at North Coast State, where I was initially introduced to strength conditioning and fell in love with it that way. And then had a couple internships along the way, landed one at Clemson University, which was huge, a lot of tech integration and a lot of exposure there to some really brilliant people. And then I got a graduate assistant position at Mizzou, where I got to work with SEC football, American football, not soccer. And that was a really cool opportunity as well. So I spent my two years there, got my master's, and then joined the Stroh shortly after. So it's it's been a heck of a ride. That is a heck of a story. And I started following you, I think, <clears throat> three years ago. I had just moved back to Germany. Uh, Rachel was also in Amsterdam um, at the time. And you right were on. like the strength coach in baseball the female strength, female strength coach in baseball in like 2017 so I was like oh I had to follow this chick and then what I really love about how you post on Instagram and attack social media is you give like clips of everything that you do the good reps the bad reps the good Spanish the bad Spanish the funny Spanish yeah. <laughs> like we actually get glimpses of what training is like as opposed to what we all imagine that perfect professional sports training would be right yeah no you've got to embrace the battles and the struggles too so I try and share a little bit of everything and it's just it's such a fun environment such a fun group of guys to work with that like those hurdles and every and 
just working with guys that have never really had much of a training background and which could be very frustrating as a coach. It makes it like so much more enjoyable with those guys. So I love to share those moments too. I bet. Now, how did you actually get into the baseball organizations? Like what was your spring or your step from SEC American football graduate system? So a a GA ship is to score one of those, first of all, great job. And then SEC American football, what made you want to get out and move to baseball and how'd you get into orgs? Yeah. So I honestly had like, I did not have my mindset on baseball at all, nor was I like seeking it out or anything, but um, Dylan Lawson. So he was the hitting coach for us at Mizzou. He was previously with the Strohs. He was heading back to the Strohs and he was like, Hey, before before I head out, I'd really like to put you in contact with my good friend, Rachel. I met her when I was working with the Astros. Like you guys could probably hit it off. You have a lot in common, both working and owning male dominant sport. And he's like, I just, he's like, I really appreciate how you conduct the floor and how those guys respect you. He's like, I think you guys would hit it off. I'm like, Oh, sweet. Right on. So I emailed her. We set up a call. We hit it off right away. And then just a couple of days later, she emailed me back and was like, Hey, I want to let you know of a, um, position that's opening up with us in the Dominican and she's like you know Rachel she's very like black and white will like tell you straightforward she's like here's every reason why you shouldn't take the job like you know you don't know any Spanish you're on an island by yourself you're gonna feel very isolated like it's gonna be hard with the old school mentality and it's not SEC football you're not gonna have like everything like all the resources and everything handed to you as you would like at a big SEC football team like you know like everything's not just laid out perfect for you and then so I was like I need to take this opportunity like this is sick I was like this is gonna be such a battle like when when can you just go move to the Dominican Republic and like live in something similar to a third world country and just you're like oh this is gonna be rough and ragged I'm ready (laughs) yeah I was like this is gonna freaking challenge me in every aspect possible like sign me up let's go full set and was it anything like what you expected? <laughs> um, so she absolutely prepared me for the worst, but I, I had so much fun, honestly, because I, um, I pride myself in having a good work to life balance. So it would be an absolute grind during the work week and you just have everything that you want to touch on and, and get with the guys. And like the most frustrating part is when you just like, when you really just you can't articulate like you really have your message to get across and that first year was such a battle because I before I went down there I mastered like my coaching cues like how to say like knees out chest up like forward backward all that the basics but when you really want to like provide them a lesson and provide them like insight on what they're doing it was really frustrating that way like knowledge and context yeah exactly and like exactly and then so if you didn't have someone that could translate for you right then and there it was like very frustrating on those days but um we eventually got through it and then just working alongside the guys and like shooting the shit every day and like being with them in the cages and out on the field and just showing that you care and like you're there like there's so much that goes way further than just words you know just your actions and being there with them but so that was that was, um, those were the challenges during the work week. And then as soon as, so we went Monday to Saturday. And then as soon as we had games wrap up on Saturday, I would rent a car and just send it to the north side of the island. Cause we were like on the very south side. And so the north side is like, kind of gets more like beautiful beaches, surfing, like kite surfing, very, yeah. 
So we'd just go like explore on the weekends and it was so sick. Yeah, it was a dream. Yeah, and now you're a coordinator with responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> real so now I don't have quite that much time to be able to go do that. Now it's like I go down every like month and a half, and I go down for a week at a time, and then I come straight back. I don't quite have the luxury of um, experiencing weekends on the Dominican coastline anymore. But <laughs> whether that was a luxury at that time or not is a different story because. Right. First year strength coach salaries are not always the most beautiful thing in the yeah. world. <laughs> but we've oh, all been there. Um, yep. You always talk about your guys, which I think is so awesome. And that's always been really reflected in like your social media content and how you, when you school us and your stories about what you're doing <sighs> inside to programming, it's always about the dudes. It's very rarely about you or the other coaches. It's usually about the guys or your interaction with them. And you can tell that they... Yeah respect you uh and they all look very young and they all look very fit for the most part can you kind of can you kind of profile the guys that you're working with in your context so maybe what you did the first year and what you're working with now yeah absolutely so down in the Dominican um we have what's something that's called a tricky league so it's pretty much any international signee they sign on when they're 16 years old and then they have one full season with just kind of inner squad and pickup games they don't have any um true like summer league yet any true competition so they just have one year full development of practice and strength and conditioning and then the next year they would enter the dsl which is the i wish every sport had that yeah it's really cool it is it's yeah it's great for their development 100 percent. and then so after that they join the dominican summer league so this um league is more so along the lines of like 17 to 20 years old like max usually only spend like one to two seasons down the DSL before hopefully getting called up to stateside and then how it would go. I'll just explain the structure. They get stateside at the rookie affiliate. And then now they would go um, low A, high A, double A, triple A, and then they would finally make it to the big league. So it's that long grueling ladder of development that they have to go through to actually make it. So right now when I go down to the Dominican, it's anywhere from like 16 to 20 years old. And then usually it's pretty ground zero, like ground, ground zero. Some of these guys haven't even really stepped foot in a gym before, or like they're using cinder blocks. Some of these guys like just, so just really taking it back with them. And then once they get stateside and at this rookie affiliate, it's a lot of our U S draft guys now too. So technically they're onboarding as well, but onboarding for them, they might've already had like two years at a, like, Tennessee or something strength conditioning program so they're pretty competent in the weight room so in the GCL in Florida right now we have guys ranging from anywhere from like 17 to 23 years old that's so young (laughs) yeah for real that's young to be basically struggling for the dreams in your professional sport so explain again the system can the can athletes then basically jump the rungs? Can they jump? Yeah. Basically go from like very low developmental to the big leagues or uh, an A, a double A club or how does it? Yeah, for sure. So especially with COVID being the off year, um, it can almost be looked at like these guys have missed a full year of development and a full year of competition under their belt and a full year of experience. So we have one pitcher who pitched one, season down in the DSL and then he came up 
for our spring training. And then now I believe he started in high A and then now he's in double A. So he's like skipped those runs for sure. Wow. But it is, it is possible for sure. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's very, yeah, it's very exciting to see too. So to give context to um, the European athletes who are listening in Europe, we have the, the same structure basically with our academies and like our performance centers in Germany, okay. the like the farm system in American baseball. And that's why it, it, I find it so cool to talk to you because in the, that is gnarly. Yeah. It's, the two systems basically mirror each other in that we can jump leagues like we have the the first Bundesliga second third fourth we have the regional leagues and then it's divided down by states basically similar okay. to how you guys have it but are um and then the orgs are basically within those divisions obviously just like baseball okay. has divisions as well but the development of athletes and athletic specialization or early specialization is a different discussion, yeah. but like yeah. at 16 to say, this is the one sport and you're locked in basically on a professional yeah. contract. These are like the two sports in the world, the two uh, federations in the world that actually do that. So that is um, a crazy wild. commitment to make when you're 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. So when they're, when they're signed on with you, they don't have that. It's almost, I almost compare it to like a red shirt year in college, like where you have one year where you're not focused on competition but you're just solely focused on your development do you guys do something like that like our tricky league we don't basically we play the u squads so we play like u12 u13 u15 16 17 and then you might play the u21 maximum u23 and then if you don't play professionally like you got to go find a rec league somewhere oh wow yeah <clears throat> it's hard to stay in like developmental leagues if you haven't made a professional league by the time you're like 23 ish wow um yeah, it's a tough world out there. So <laughs> lay it out for us how you would structure development with obviously the long-term in mind in that they have this really cool chance of one year to be just developing as an athlete, like completely invested in themselves um, in your org. How do you attack that with somebody who has no experience <laughs> of strength and conditioning, just like the literal movement of their bodies having lifted heavy things their whole life, but like yeah. not knowing how to deadlift. <laughs> yeah. So it literally just comes down to first and foremost, having them be comfortable with you and then having them be comfortable with their environment. So showing them the weight room, teaching them like, Hey, this is a dumbbell. Hey, this is a barbell. This is how our weight room is structured. This is how everything's set up. Like this is how it's going to make you bigger, faster, stronger, and how all of these are going to translate to baseball. So we're always making sure that the message translates to their performance and how it's helping them. And that it's not just them checking a box because it's something on their schedule every day to do, but how it's going to help advance them in their, in their goals and their dream of making it to the MLB. So that's first and foremost, we go over that. And you're doing all of that in Spanish that first year. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for nice. sure. And then um, another big thing that I really like to do with them too, too, we did when I was down there last month is we just have them write down their why and then that only not only helps them when we um display back to them throughout the year of like why they are there but it helps us see like their motivations and helps us understand them a little better so like for one guy he actually wrote like to feed and take care of my family and other guys is like to have a Maserati like you know like it's just like two different ends of the spectrum so you're like okay I'm going to motivate this guy with like hey how close do you do your Maserati versus like 
the other guy might motivate him be like hey how's your family doing like how's everything back home and like you know just knowing that he's much more family oriented and doing things that way so just having a better understanding of who they are and what motivates them and then um, we just break everything down into movements so we start them off with the foundational capacity screening so everything is just body weight movements and there's also kind of a movement screening for us as well not only just to test their um, muscular capacity but just to see how they go about moving their bodies and spatial awareness and everything like that so our first one that we do is just prisoner squat hands behind the head go down hit parallel nice and controlled the whole time um, good tempo we make sure that they can at least hit 70 reps there straight if they can check um, next one is push up so down to your partner's hand every rep perfect push up can they do 20 there check um, next one is a single leg squat elevated on a box so just coming down tap your heel control back up so just testing single leg capacity and strength there we look for 20 each leg box is about like mid shin high so nothing too challenging um, and then we do a barbell inverted row legs straight out and then we also do a anti-rotational trunk capacity test where they're alternating which limbs lifting so we go hand hand foot foot and we're looking for 40 on that one and then so we're looking that they can pass at least four of the five assessments and if they can then we'll advance them to what we call foundational strength so how we have set up our levels we have them foundational as a subcategory so we have foundational capacity and then we have foundational strength and then so majority of our athletes down in the Dominican and our international signings are going to be underneath that foundational bucket and then from there we have our development bucket and then our specialized bucket so specialized is going to be anyone usually around like double a or higher so double a triple a big league because they just have that training age and those abilities they've they've um kind of maxed their abilities of getting strong and they've plateaued out on their strength now so now we're just more focusing more so on speed development. they have come, they've got all of those beginner and intermediate big gains that you get and now they're they have that huge baseline of strength underneath them and you're exactly. just fine-tuning things okay yeah so to simplify it we have foundational which is focused around move well then we have our development which is move load and then we have our specialized which is move fast so we focus on movement, moving some load underneath you now with maintain that good movement. And then now we're going to move that load fast. So, so the ability to move it all, the ability to move yeah. with weight on your body loaded and then move that shit fast. Yeah. Tempo. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, interesting in baseball strength and conditioning, it's one of the sports where it's Obviously, baseball is riddled with injuries, unfortunately, as the nature of the sport yeah. is. Um, but baseball strength and conditioning coaches love to talk about shoulder care so much. <laughs> like, yeah, so. Uh, so how actually, do you guys approach that from a young age? Is it like strength and conditioning is a part of shoulder care or is shoulder care a part of strength and conditioning? Or is that separate? Or how do you guys? Yeah, so we try and have one clear message across all departments. So we work... Um, we work side by side with athletic training and we make sure that um, guys are educated on their arm care program and that it's out there laid out. So as soon as they're done throwing their side or throwing their live, like it's laid out right there, like it's a part of their routine and that it's not just by choice that they have to do their arm care program. Whereas that wasn't always the way, the way it was. They, 
um, most guys had things that they would do on their own or they already kind of had a routine, but um, we've just made this one that everyone has to do now. We've just fixated on them. So, so it's standardized. Like everybody does this program yeah. regardless of position or pitch count or whatever. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. For sure. So we do that with them. How do you, how do you approach load management then when we're talking about like first year guys, your younger guys, when you were in the DR, was it, so the way that we would approach it, for example, is this is the very first time that they're in the weight room ever, most likely because soccer players yeah. in Germany just won't touch a barbell unless you force them to basically. Really? Um, and so we immediately have to start managing load because they'll pop into overtraining so fast or get injured within three months if we push them too much. So obviously your guys are training technically and tactically and physically, and there's gotta be a mental component to this as well with mental stress. Yeah. The strength coach, sports scientist, then balance all of this load for these people who are in very beginner learning yeah. phases doing all of this stuff. Yeah, for real. So we, we have our monitoring tools and for our pitchers, a big one that we do monitor, um, outside of sports science and with the pitching coaches is, um, their throwing progression. So how many, their pitch counts will gradually increase. And then also drop off and below is a huge red flag too. So we'll monitor their velocity a lot on their pitching. And then, um, in terms of strength and conditioning monitoring tools that we use, we, um, have a Nord board down the DR and at each of our affiliates. So we look to flag anything that's over 10%. We've kind of dropped that down to 7%, but ideally 7%, but we'll flag it at 10% and then just looking for any big asymmetries that way in their hamstrings. And then overall um, strength, we look for double body weight and newtons. So if a guy weighs 200 pounds, we want to see at least like 400 newtons on his hamstring strength. Um, we also have dual four, four stacks down in the DRN at each affiliate. So we'll look at um, any drop-offs in concentric um, power and impulse, which would be more of a chronic fatigue. And then we also look at eccentric fatigue, which would, which would be more so acute in nature. So yeah. that's how we kind of monitor them that way. Okay. So you basically have for ongoing monitoring, just that I'm understanding you have a jump chest most likely. Yep. We do five okay. kind of movement jumps. Okay. Hands on hips. Yep. Which is a vertical jump for anybody who doesn't know this specific system. <laughs> vertical jump without your arms, basically. Yeah. Um, and then you have the strength test for the hamstrings because hamstrings are super important in baseball, in case you haven't heard. Absolutely. They're also so vital we, in soccer. So yes. And so what a lot of people don't realize is that hamstring injuries actually surpass shoulder injuries in baseball which I learned that to be true myself. Shout out to the Cardinals because you guys dropped more hamstrings than you did elbows, shoulders, <laughs> hands, fingers, backs, shoulder blades, anything else. It was always the hamstring pops. Yeah. I told you to come to sprint practice. <laughs> yeah, for real. And so that's that's been a big one too since being here, just having guys not afraid of the speed gates just because there's always like one freak accident where something happens, but it's just educating them that um running fast is going to be protective of them and if they don't run fast now like it's going to happen in the game so just trying to educate them on that and that it's not saving them at all if anything it's hurting them so we also do our speed gate testing once a month we have a 10 30 yard split so our 10 yard we're looking at acceleration capabilities and then our 30 yard we're looking at overall 
max um, max speed. And you do you guys do that with all of the athletes in the org every two weeks? Um, no, we do that once a month. Okay, uh, once a month. Yeah. So it's it's more challenging with the affiliate lifestyle just because it's so crazy and you're on the road all the time. But we just try and make it less of a test day and build it into their speed day. So they're doing the exact same speed day. You're doing your 30 yard sprints, but you just happen uh-huh. to be running through lasers this rep. Okay. So it's, it's, we try to make it less daunting that way. Exactly. That's what I was just thinking. When you can build it in that nicely, then it's almost like if you close your eyes, you won't notice it's there and it takes yeah, away the nerves yeah. of the moment. Yeah. yeah. And obviously you guys are running with a pretty strict test, retest and ongoing monitoring um, systems. Do you guys also have internal monitoring um, specific tools like outside of one-to-one feedback with athletes? How Outside of basically you talking to them, do you guys have like wellness questionnaires or do you monitor heart rate or anything like that? Um, no. So we tried doing um, just a perceived fatigue, like RP, like what do you what are you feeling today? Scale of one to 10. And then we have like the sad face and the happy face and we do that scale, but it's just, honestly, it's worked better for us. And it's been more consistent just to have um, conversations with the athletes and just have clear communication that way. But yeah. What, what do you guys do? We have a wellness questionnaire and then I track internal versus external load for each athlete every week. Um, we monitor like so I work with you 19 and you 12. So that's really young kids basically who yeah. are just learning the very basics of strength and conditioning. And that's always fun because they never have, um, you know, young kids are never going to be sore really. And they're just yeah. having fun and moving. Um, but I get more interested in it with my U19 guys who are 17, 18, some of them, a couple of them are 16 and we push hard because they were in one of the upper leagues. Um, as well and these guys have the capacity to play pro or super talented and we're also in which is like um, a development academy here as well and so having to introduce them to okay this is we're not playing games anymore like it's not cute uh soccer out on the pitch if you want to be a professional athlete like you also have to work for this and it's um the wellness questionnaire that gives me the most information second only to talking to them one-on-one but now that we have a squad of 25 players who don't all come at the same time because of coronavirus regulations it's hard to get in long detailed conversations with everybody so having a really good wellness questionnaire that we use three times a week one to three times a week depending on who sent it um has been really really helpful for us during the corona times to get an overall look at how everybody's doing have you, have you had good success with that and honesty with that? I'm, that was our one kind of hesitation, especially down in our Dominican complex was just with maturity levels, you aren't sure like who exactly is telling the truth or who's kind of milking the system of like, who's trying to get out of a couple of extra reps that day or. There's always going to be that person, but you know who that yeah. person is. The coach yeah, always knows do. who those people you are. Know, yeah. <laughs> Even if you think you got yourself uh, tucked away and hidden and you're so sly, we know who you are. Yeah. Um, But that's nothing against them. I mean, we, I basically take that with, take their answer with a grain of salt and bump it up a couple of points and kind of look at like, okay, I noted that what's the external load been or what, how much work have they put in? What's their volume been for the week? If they played 90 minutes, then I can totally understand why he's complaining about this, that, and the other thing. But if not, yeah. I'm going to push you a little bit and see if you can get a little bit more out of yourself. 
Um, but a lot of it has relied on the relationship with the coaches and how the coaches manage the data. So like at first we were always getting perfect scores for almost every athlete, unless everybody was just in a really bad mood (laughs) that everybody gave really bad scores. But when they noticed basically that nobody was getting benched because they said they're tired, you know, a little bit more tired this week, or I had a little bit of soreness in my hamstring. I'm not going to get benched or, you know, I'm feeling depressed this week. I'm not going to get benched. I'm still going to get playing time. It's for us to help them become better. And that's the point of long-term development data. So we know how, how far you're coming and what we need to do to get you to go farther. And I think um, the biggest thing that changed it in this particular club and in this org that I'm working in is just how we have actually adapted the data instead of just leaving it sitting there. Then they know it's useless. So why should I fill this out? Or to punish them somehow. Um, For sure. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we've had the most success with that too, is how fast can we get the information back to the athlete and how can we provide it to them in the way that they're best going to understand and know that it's useful to their performance and not just have them fall in the path of feeling like lab rats and just that we're deriving numbers from them, but not giving them back any info. Right. Like this isn't a conveyor belt system where we're cranking out a product where this matters because you matter. Like this is about your health and performance. Um, But it's hard. I would assume for you as well with young athletes coming in, to a system where you know it's also a system, it's also an organization where sometimes human bodies get commodified just as the nature of sports. Is there any particular way that you've worked in that, um, like I said, you have the connection to the guys. So how do you work in that human connection in a sport where, again, they're coming in, they're young, they know they're probably, their chances of making the big leagues might be low (laughs) if everybody's being honest. And a system is still going to be a system. How do you keep the human side in the system? Yeah, for sure. So it was like, I'm not sure what the percent is now, but when I first onboarded with the Astros, it was like 3% were going to make it from the Dominican up to the big leagues, like 3%. Which is insane. (laughs) Yeah. Because that is a a big number too, because that's the sport there. Yeah, exactly. Like these guys, they some of them leave their homes as young as like eight years old and they go um, to guys called Wiscones. And so they're essentially like um, scouts and these academies where they like live, eat, sleep, breathe baseball. And they're doing that since they're like eight years old, all the way up till when they can get signed when they're 16 years old. And then, so they end up taking a huge cut, like sometimes up to 50% of their signing bonus. And then they, so say a guy signs for a mill, like, their Biscone gets half of that just for raising them and breeding baseball to them since they're eight years old dude so it's a it's a talk about getting shorted yeah it's it's very very eye-opening down there but like you said like that's that's their nation's sport like that is the end all be all baseball so um yeah to answer your question you just need to make it fun you need to make it enjoyable and know that like you're there to develop them as a human being like because not many of these guys are going to see even stateside so what can you do to help best prepare them and and be a better person in their life moving forward and how can you help them find like their interests and just provide them better like organizational skills and teaching them how to read a schedule and make and how to be prompt and how to 
um, attend English class and not be a distraction to others and just like the little things that you're doing to help them on a daily basis. It's like, it's not, everyone always says, it's not about the sets and reps, it's about everything that you do around the day to help impact them and become better people. What do you wish both in a sports specific sense or in a fitness strength and conditioning sense, but also then in the human sense, what do you hope that the athletes who don't even get to make it stateside, for example, or essentially don't make it to a league where they can actually earn money, reputation, whatever, what do you hope that they take with them into their lives from their time in the Stroh's organization? Just that they're good people to help their communities and they're able to give back because some of my best memories down in the Dominican is when we would go to we went to like an orphanage or we would go pick up um litter on the beach or anything like that like just helping them teaching them how to give back and be better people to their communities is like really really special and it's really cool to see them with those kids and so and then just seeing how driven they are and how they can work to achieve something. And then just teaching them that, Hey, this doesn't have to go towards baseball. Like this can go towards pursuing a career. This can go towards like making a living for your family and chasing other dreams that you might have outside of here, which is hard for them at the time because the only dream they have is MLB, but um, just building that mindset and those good habits for them that they'll take with them for the rest of their life. I think that's huge. Yeah. It's massive, especially because, we're both getting athletes from that 16 to 20, 21 range that are in a super developmental period anyway. I mean, can you imagine yeah. being that young again? I didn't know what I was doing then. I was like half a person at that time. Um, yeah. So it's hard to be away from family. Obviously, a lot of them have probably been away from their families for quite some time. Be under pressure, have a lot of expectations for yourself and from external sources as well, and then have money come into the situation that's pretty tough. So, um, yeah, very tough. to be able to support them in that, in the role that you have during that specific time has to be pretty special. I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories as well. Yeah. There's, there's been some very eye-opening stories and just like money aside, you can see like these guys aren't like a guy can sign for, we had a shortstop one year. I was down in the DR who signed for like two and a half mil and he just turned 16. It's like, he doesn't know what to do with this money. And like, if that's so has, much money. <laughs> yeah, literally. And they these guys have no idea. And then if they have someone in their ear telling them one thing and another, like that's a lot of stress on the guy. So even if we can just provide them education on like, hey, this is what you should do with it. Hey, you could maybe invest it here or anything, like because they just literally have no idea. So providing them those kinds of resources too would be would be huge. But they do they do get all around development. So what a what a typical day would look like for them is. Um, they wake up, have breakfast or treatment around 7 a.m. Um, first lift would be around like 7.30, 8 a.m. We have two lift groups. So we alternate which days pitchers go and which days position players go. We have them go three days a week. So either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then um, they'd have warm up, warm up out on the field. They have their fielding practice or throwing program. And then they would have like their speed or conditioning for that day. And then after that, they, if they're in season, they'll go and they'll have their nine inning game. Um, and then they'll come in, have lunch. Everyone will go up to their dorms. They'll have their cat nap and then head down to the classroom where they'll have English class or high school class. So they'll, they'll have that. Our teacher comes on site at the academy and they do it there. 
and then they'll have dinner and they'll chill out and then they'll repeat, wake up, repeat and do that six days a week. So it does become an exhausting process for them. That is a very repetitive to a T. Wow. Yes. Yes. And we have mental skills as well. I forgot to throw that in there. I think they have mental skills a couple times a week. I freaking love that the sports psychology component is in there as well. How do you, how do you plan rest? (laughs) Like, how do you as a strength coach and sports scientist, like structure the time where they actually get to regenerate? Because obviously mental skills is important to you guys as well as the physical components. So they have to get their head, like clear their minds at some point. How do you plan that in? So Wednesdays have always been our recovery days where we'll just have everyone. It's a little different now with, with COVID and we have smaller groups and everything, but we used to just have everyone socks off, shoes off, everyone in the cage, find a yoga mat, just chill out. We would just have them do um, regen breathing. And then we take them through like at least a 30 minute yoga session and just have them totally chill out. And then they would um, go on about their low intensity practice. And then um, hopefully they don't have competition that day, but if they do, that would be the most intense thing they had. So Wednesday would be our recovery focus day or low day. And then every Sunday they have completely off. So those were kind of just the two days that we had to break up as low days throughout the week. Yeah. That's nice that they have basically a day and a half completely off. Yeah. (laughs) For real. Yeah. Um, We also try and give one to two complete days off when we absolutely can. Uh, And one day strength and conditioning is optional. I guess how many people come on the optional day? <laughs> no, half the have team. like those one or two. Oh, really? That's good. Yeah, half the team comes. We'll oh, have yeah. like, like eight That's to ten guys. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's super awesome. And I love seeing them come in and pump. But obviously it's like, okay, I'm here. Julia, just thank me that I'm here. I'm not doing the workouts on the board. I'll maybe do like one or two things. But I'm going yeah. <laughs> to do, do like, arms. Right. I'm going to do curls and you know, whatever yeah. they're soccer players. So they all have spaghetti arms, but they still do curls. Oh. <laughs> T-Rex, yeah. spaghetti arms. I love that. Um, I loved, um, I just had this random thought, but I loved all the please. videos that you posted throughout COVID. That was sick. Thanks. I'm annoying. <laughs> I love, no, I love all those home, home, um, workout videos that you posted. Got some good ideas from those. Thank you Love so it. much. I was really Absolutely. creative um, because I was. I bored. saw that. <laughs> <laughs> that was My athletes and I were both going crazy. All of us were just in one bucket. Like, what are we doing now? We got to figure out something. <laughs> how How does the organization deal with, for example, injuries? Though is something that's also interesting because I know a lot of my guys sometimes have the feeling like, oh shit, if I really get injured now, I'm completely out. And that could sometimes be a a deterring factor for them coming to me and talking to me about sprained my ankle three weeks ago. You know, I've been yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. thanks for telling me. That's, that's <laughs> actually funny that you bring that up because it's something that we've been dealing with is just trying to educate the guys on if they're not honest with us or their rehab process and they get back out to the playing field without being 100%, they're actually setting themselves back even further. So we've had a couple instances like that where They've either lied about how they're feeling or um, we progress them too fast because they're also misleading us to think that they're ready for the load that we're giving them. And then it ends up setting them back even more. So just building that line of communication and that trust and knowing that they honestly, at the end of the day, they're just hurting themselves. So that's a big one. But um, throughout our entire organization, if it's a long-term injury, like they blow their UCL, they need Tommy John, 
um, they blew their hammy or anything. I'm trying to think of the main ones right now. They broke their hammy bone, something like that. Then they would be sent to our complex where I am in West Palm Beach. And that's where our um, strength conditioning rehab coordinator is and all of our um, athletic training coordinators, everything like that are. And so they are there to program them for their long-term injuries that might be um, anywhere from like three months to 12 months long. So you guys do it direct, directly there on site with them over the long term. It's not like you come fly in cute once a month and check on a right. check on you for no. Zoom. It's like you're here every day with me in the gym. You're here every day. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah. some good long term care. That's a long term. It's a very good. Yeah, it's very good long term plan that we have here for those guys. They so looked after. Yeah, it sure sounds like they're spoiled rotten. <laughs> and to have you as their coach is pretty freaking awesome. So yeah. the way that we uh, the way that we end is the lion logo that we have for that is sick. Let's go. <laughs> um you have to give her three pointers for either as a coach or as an athlete. How do you develop long-term thinking from when you're 16? to the rest of your life, what are three things that you could leave the lion with today? Mm. It could be about anything. Little thing. Okay. Anything. Um, take pride in the little things and do the little things exceptionally well. Um, preparation is everything. Learn to love the grueling process of preparation and I've just found that those who fall in love with preparation, because it's easy to fall in love with competition and doing what you love, but those who fall in love with like the actual preparation and the process have gone on to be professionals in their sport. So I would say the little things, um, preparation and um, trust your coach, trust the process, like know that, yeah, shit my coach just regressed me to goblet squat for another month like what are we doing here but that that's honestly been one of the most um rewarding um coach athlete moments I had it was like my was I think it was my first season down the DR so it was a tricky league guy I had he was a 16 year old signee and I had had him he was like the slowest to progress out of out of the like 13 guys I had or something I had him on goblet squat for so long and then I I didn't have him on trap bar for a while where all of his friends were like already at 225 on trap bar and everything. And then we did. And you um, know, he was jealous as hell the whole time. Yeah. And he just, he, he hated me for it too. He hated me. And I'm just like, just be patient. It's going to come, you know, just try to feed him positivity. He's like, I hate her. And then, so we had strength camp at the end of the year. That would have been in the summer. So strength camp at the end of the year happens in like November. And then, so we're doing assessment day. We don't call it test day. And then, so we're doing like, I think it was like five, five to eight reps, something like that. We still keep a high rep for those younger guys. And he had 225 on the bar. And like, I was, I was a little nervous of him doing it. And he, he walks up to it and he just absolutely smashes it. Like so smooth, like great form. And then all of his friends are like screaming, jumping around him. And he like could have easily like turned and like looked and sullied with them. And instead he like looks at me and flashes me the biggest smile I like trying so hard not to cry I was like that is so sick you know like he looked to me for that moment like as in like he was I so proud it. yeah he was so freaking cute yeah he was so stoked like oh it was so cool so yeah the third thing is just trust in the process and like that ground zero is going to be an absolute 
fish, but that's going to build your foundation and you're only going to go up from there. So build, build that base. It's interesting when we talk about ground zero, because it really is the case. And I'm sure you've seen this too. athletes who are 18, 20 years old and can't even hinge. And you're like, how do you play the sport? How do you exactly. like, you don't have yeah. shoulder mobility. You can't get your hand behind your head in any healthful way and you look like a t-rex when you're trying to throw how do you throw with any velocity without ripping your arm off your body like yeah it's incredible thank you for your patience and thank you for putting the health of young athletes before the performance of young athletes and for not commoditizing them and for absolutely coach it's all about the kids it's all about the kids (laughs) i'm with you it's a long-term game and um you know, we have a lot in common being female strength coaches. Some is great. Some is not great, but the industry has gotten a ton better, uh, in very small steps in the last 10 years. And I'm stoked that you and I are colleagues in this particular age. Let's go living in coaching and baseball and in long-term athletic development. So let's go coach. Thank you for all you do. Let's and thank, go, you for coach. The podcast. thank you for you. Juan, thank you so much for having me. This was sick. <laughs>